And once again, we'd like to welcome you to our morning worship. If you joined us for Sunday school, I kind of joked that there was going to be a test, right? Did you guys pay attention? Are you ready for a test? You guys remember those days where we used to take tests? You ready? You ready? Good. Remember taking tests in school? You always had to have like a number two pencil to fill in those bubbles. And if you didn't have it, you had to borrow it. And then if you didn't use a number two pencil, you could get the answers wrong, even if you knew the answers, because it wouldn't count, right? Or sometimes, as we're taking the test, we start to panic. And we're like, we know the answer, but for some reason or another, we are completely blank. We're like, wait, I know this. I know I know this. But for the life of you, you cannot remember the correct answer, right? How many of us have ever found ourselves in a situation with a test like that? Now, honestly though, how long has it been since some of us have taken a test? Years, centuries. <laughs> how many of us actually liked taking tests? Anybody? Got a couple of people who, I don't know, like the pressure or something. But the part of a test or an exam was to let you know how much you knew already and what you still needed to learn, right? Sometimes teachers would use them to determine where you were in school, how much you knew, how much you still needed to know, right? We would take exams in school to help us find our best job placement and things like that so that they would help us know. And if, honestly, so many magazines out there today have exams and little quizzes, right, to help you figure out who you are. What type of personality are you? What color lipstick should you wear? What type of shoes should you wear? What's the best hairstyle for you? Or things like that. There's quizzes all over there. And you have quizzes you have to take before you graduate school. I was talking to someone who was a junior from high school the other night, and we were asking, well, have you taken the SATs already? Have you taken the PSATs? You know, big tests, big exams that can make all the difference in your future, right? And if you were to fail the exams, like the SATs, you may not get into the school you want to if you don't perform well enough. Or if you don't pass your midterms that a lot of students just took before the winter break, then you may have problems, right? And at the end of school year, if you don't pass, you don't get promoted to the next grade. But do you know that even in our daily lives, we are supposed to be taking a test? In fact, we are encouraged to test ourselves. Kind of like a pop quiz, right? I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 13.5 to you. We're reading it from the New Century Version, and it says this. Look closely at yourselves. Test yourselves to see if you are living in the faith. You know that Jesus Christ is in you. Unless you fail the test. Unless you fail the test. Look closely at yourselves. Examine yourselves. Let's look at it in a different way. Let's look at it in the message paraphrase. 
to help us fully understand what that was saying. Test yourselves to make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking anything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. And if you fail the test, do something about it. If you fail the test, do something about it. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves. So, it said to test yourselves, to make sure that you are firm, that you're strong in faith, that you don't just merely claim to be a Christian, but that indeed your faith reflects it, that your actions model it. That what you say and what you do are those of a Christian, of those who have someone who has faith. Now, the Bible says to test ourselves. It's not talking about a test like math or history or English or even science. It's about testing our faith and making sure we are standing on a firm foundation. Because when things get tough in life, that tests our faith. So we need to make sure that if those crazy moments in life come at us, it's not going to find cracks. It's not going to find a weak foundation. Cracks in the foundation that with a strong wind can blow a house off its foundation. So the question is, are we exhibiting in our lives the marks of faith? And what are those faith? What are those marks? What are we looking for? So, you don't need a number two pencil for this exam. But I'm going to give you go ahead and give you guys some of the questions you need to ask yourselves. Are you ready? Now, let's go ahead and look at 1 John. There's a Bible in the pew beside you. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John. Not John, but 1 John. <laughs> now, how many of you guys remember those crazy long tests where you had about an hour and a half to take it? And there were like 300 questions, and you didn't know how you were ever going to get them done in time, right? You guys remember those tests where it was like a race? And sometimes you could do it, and you come back and check. Sometimes you're sitting here, and time's running out, and you've still got 30 questions left in a minute to go, and you're like, I'm not going to finish. And so we just randomly fill in bubbles. Well, we're not going to do that kind of test. There's only going to be five questions. And as we go through each question... I want you to do an inventory in your head, and silently, you don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to take this exam, take this test, because it's about you. We're already about a, two weeks into the new year, and I want to make sure we're starting it off right. 
And what better way to spend the rest of the year fixing something by knowing where we're at? We talked about how it's how we feel when our relationship grows in God, and I want to make sure we're on the right track. So we're going to take this exam, this test, if you will. So, we're looking at 1 John, chapter 1. And we're going to start by looking at verse 5. 1 John, chapter 1. Verse 5, 5 through 7, and it says, Here is the message we have heard from Christ and now announce to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So if we say we have fellowship with God, but we continue living in darkness, we are liars and do not follow the truth. But if we live in the light as God is in the light, we can share fellowship with each other. Then the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from every sin. So, we're going to break it down, actually. We're going to go point by point. And it says, right, here's the message that we know, that God is what, guys? It can even be an open book test if you need to look back at the scripture. God is... Starts with an L. God is always love. Yes, we learned that earlier. But God is what? He is the light, right? God is light. God is light, pure light. There is no trace of what? Darkness. There's no trace of darkness in him. And so that's what we know. Right? God is light. Verse 5 of chapter 1. God is light. There is no trace of darkness in him. And if we claim that we experience a shared life with him, if we claim to have faith, if we claim to be followers, if we claim to be Christians, then 1 John chapter 1 verse 6 says that we have to be in the light. There can be no darkness in us. We can't still be stumbling around in the darkness, as it says in the message. If we claim that we experience a shared life with him and continue to stumble around in the dark, we are obviously lying through our teeth, and we're not living what we claim. If we continue to stumble sometimes in the darkness... Those things that are not of God. For God is light. He's pure. He's true. He's holy. And anything that's not is the darkness. And if we claim to have faith, and yet we knowingly, willingly stumble through the darkness without trying to find the light, then we have no right to call ourselves Christians. So the first question to ask yourselves is if it's true. 
But if we walk in the light, God himself being the light, we also experience a shared life with one another. As the sacrificed blood of Jesus, God's son, purges all our sins. How are we living our life? What's our lifestyle like? Are we living the life of a Christian? Are we walking in the light? We have two descriptions, the light, verses 7. We can live in the light, and by living in the light means that we are living in a godly way. We are following God's commandments. And when God is light and we are living in the light, then we are living close to God. It means that we are living in a way that testifies to our relationship with God, that people would not be surprised to find out that we are a Christian. They don't think we're not. Let's be honest with each other. We all know somebody, or we may have even been that person. When because of something we have done right then, right there, someone was surprised to learn that we claimed to be a Christian. If you're a Christian, then how could you, right? And let's be honest. We ourselves have looked at people claiming to be Christians and said, really? I would have never known that because of how they live. So let's get real with each other and examine our own life. Test ourselves. By our lives and our way of living, people know that we are Christians because we are living in the light. But the truth of it is, and here's the thing about darkness, anybody can say they are a Christian. The Bible even warns us that it, the devil can even be tempt us and appear to be an angel of light, but he is really an angel, an agent of darkness. We can claim to be Christian, but our lifestyle and how we live will tell the truth about who we are. If we claim to be Christian but walk outside of the light, then we are lying. And sadly enough, the person we may be lying to most is ourselves. If our lifestyle does not reflect Jesus Christ, then we are off path. If our lifestyle does not reflect Jesus, then we are not walking in the light. And so the first question to answer to yourselves and ask yourselves is, are you living in the light? Does the way you live reflect the presence of God in your life? Or are you stumbling about in the darkness, saying one thing but doing another? Are you living like a Christian and are you walking in the light? Take a moment, think of that one, and we'll move to the second question.
We're going to continue looking in the book of John, uh, 1 John. But this time we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. If we may be stumbling in the darkness, what do we need to do to get to the light? What does it look like? One of the key steps is, <laughs> question to ask is, are we obeying like a Christian? Do we obey God as he would have us to do? 1 John 2, 3 through 6 says, He died in our place to take away our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all people. We can be sure that we know God if we obey his commands. We can be sure we know God if we obey his commands. Verse 4 says, And anyone who says, I know God, but does not obey God's commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if someone obeys God's teaching, then in that person, God's love has truly reached its goal. This is how we can be sure we are living in God. Whoever says that he lives in God must live as Jesus lived. Now, we're supposed to be obedient, to obey. What does obedience mean? It means to do what you're told, right? Christian obedience means doing what God tells us to do. The way we know what God wants us to do is we hear it from him, from his word. So, the second question that we ask ourselves, so are we listening to God? Are we obeying what he tells us? In verse 5 of 1 John 2, it says he keeps his word. We keep his word in our hearts. Keeping God's word means that we are aware of what God tells us to do and to not do. We don't claim to be perfect. Let's be realistic. None of us are. But what separates us from everyone else is the fact that we attempt, with all that we are, to obey God's word. It's important for us to please him. We love him. We want to please him and dedicate ourselves to him, to live our lives for him. We have a deep desire to obey him. It's when we're disobedient that we need to examine our hearts. When we're disobedient, when we allow our wants and desires to override the wants and desires of God. It's when we put God on a back burner. It's when we think about ourselves first and foremost over everyone, even God. It's when we allow other things in our lives to become more important. So the second question is, are you doing what God tells you? Are you being obedient? Are you willfully giving over to God everything, your life? Is he king? Of you. 
Or are you concerned about your own desires? Are you refusing to allow God to rule in your life? Are you obeying God as a Christian? There was a popular saying not too long ago that said, Jesus is my co-pilot, but I challenged you that no, in order to obey him in the fullest, he doesn't need to be the co-pilot. He needs to be the one in control. He's not riding shotgun, he's driving. If he's riding shotgun, you're doing it wrong. Is he king in your life? Now, the next question, question three. Are you ready for this? I didn't make you write down your answers, but I hope you're keeping track of where you stand. Question number three. Are you a practicing Christian? Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, I like to cook and bake. I do. But it's just me and my cat who necessarily doesn't care that I like to cook or bake. And so people find it very hard to believe that I'm actually a pretty good cook and that I can bake really well. Because they don't ever see it, right? I don't actively practice it. One of my favorites is monkey bread. I once was telling people I make a very good monkey bread. If you don't know what that is, one of these days we'll have to explain it. <laughs> it's this yummy, confectionate goodness you take some biscuits, you roll them in cinnamon and brown sugar, and then you bake it so that it's like caramelized. And so it's literally like caramelized biscuits. <laughs> it's amazing. The first time I ever made one, someone goes, oh my gosh, we didn't know you could do this because I hadn't actually ever practiced it, right? And sometimes if we don't practice, we get a little rusty, right? We may be good at something, but if we don't practice... then we may lose it. We may get weaker in it. So, what does it mean to be a practicing Christian? Well, first off, let's clear this thing up. Let's look at 1 John chapter 3. This time we're looking at verses 7 through 10. And it says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you the wrong way. Christ is righteous, so be like Christ. A person must, so to be like Christ, a person must do what is right. The devil has been sinning since the beginning. So anyone who continues to sin belongs to the devil. The Son of God came for this purpose, to destroy the devil's work. Those who are God's children do not continue sinning because the new life from God remains in them. They are not able to go on sinning because they have become children of God. So we can see who God's children are and who the devil's children are. Those who do not, those who do, not do what is right are not God's children, and those who do not love their brothers and sisters are not God's children. 
Now, verse 6, what did it say? Wait a minute. It said, for those who continue to sin, they are not God's children. Let's be honest with one another. You don't have to show your hands, but I will probably be very truthful in telling you that every single one of us in here probably since this morning has already sinned in one way, shape, or form. Because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, right? Being a Christian does not mean that you are perfect because you're not. And you're not going to be while you still live on this earth. Being a Christian means striving to be holy. Striving to be like Jesus. It says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Right? Now, what is it talking about then? It's talking about knowingly sinning. We all make mistakes. We're human, right? But when we continue to do something that we know is wrong, knowing what we do is sinning, and we continue to do it, that's what makes it worse. To commit destructive, hateful, and harmful sin. Righteousness means that we are in right standing with God. The only way to be in right standing with God is to have his Son as Lord and Savior. Through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, we are able to live right lives. We no longer have to sin because we are indwelt by God. Through Jesus, we have the ability to say no to sin. Righteousness means we are turning away from sin and living right lives. It's when it's unrighteousness that we are not saying no, that we are saying yes, that we revel in the rebellion of sin. When we enjoy and do not want to give it up. Because we like it. We find pleasure in it. When we harden our hearts to the way of God and continue to blatantly forsake his way of living. We are in the darkness and we don't care. That is sin. Not living in darkness and not knowing the difference. But when you live in the darkness and you know it. And it doesn't matter to you. That's sin. So, are you actively walking in the light, trying to make sure that everything you do is in the light? Walking in the way of the Lord. Or do we have moments? when we kind of enjoy our moments in darkness, the things that are done in secret, the sins, the, even the little ones that we know are wrong but continue to do, 
Are we a practicing Christian? Or are we just saying it? And part of being a practicing Christian, question four, is are we loving like a Christian? What in the world does it mean to do that then? What does it mean to love like a Christian beyond more love like Christ, right? We've all heard that saying before, but what does it really mean? Look over at 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4 says this, starting in verse 7. Dear friends, we should love each other because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has become God's child and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love, right? That's where love comes in this time. God is light. God is love. This is how God showed his love to us. He sent his one and only son into the world so that when we could have life through him. This is what love is. It is not our love for God. It is God's love for us. He sent his son to die in our place and to take away our sins. Now, what does it mean to love like a Christian? What does it mean to love as we are being commanded to love. Here's your little foreign language. The word in this passage that's being used is agape, right? Everyone remember that word? Agape. It means to love like God, to make a deliberate decision to love whether the object loves us back or not. Agape love and here's a big word, is unconditional. They don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Agape love is not something you earn or ever deserve. Agape love is a gift given. It is unconditional love and acceptance. Agape love, unconditional, is the ability to love unconditionally. And it can only come from the experience and love of God ourselves. We have come to the realization that God loved us even when we did not love him. It's this awesome experience of the love, of knowing that God loves us. That encourages us to love others just like that. We love people no matter what they what they are, who they are, what they've done. We love them as God loves them. Even if they don't look like us, even if they don't love us back, even if they persecute us, taunt us, tease us, make fun of us, we still love them. That's what unconditional love is. But the world, we know more of a conditional love, don't we? Love unconditionally doesn't take that much effort, though. We wait to see if people love us, and then we love them in return. We wait to see if they do what pleases us, right? 
We do what they, we, they do what we want. Sometimes we do what they want. We tend to sometimes like those who look more like us, who dress like us, speak like us, think like us. But whenever we put conditions on love, love becomes conditional, and that is not agape love. So, when you love others as Christ has loved them, are you loving them? And what's that word? Agape love. Do you love them without reason? Do you love them no matter what? Or are we like the world putting conditions on it? Do others have to meet our standard before we love them? Or do we truly love, not as what the world thinks loving like a Christian means, but what God says loving like a Christian means? Do we truly love them as a Christian? Do we truly love others as God loves us? Are you guys ready? Because here is the last question. We've done good so far. We're almost done. 1 John chapter 5. Number 5 question. Am I assured of being a Christian? What does our insurance come from? It comes from having the Son, Jesus Christ. That means that we've trusted in Jesus and accepted him as Lord and Savior. 1 John chapter 5, starting with verse 11, says, This is what God told us. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, Jesus. Whoever has the Son has life, but whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write this letter to you who believe in the Son of God so that you will know and have eternal life. The assurance of eternal life, of everlasting life, that what God has said will be fulfilled, that we who live in the sun, who walk in the light, will have everlasting life. And we know it without a shadow of a doubt. We have assurance in that fact. So, we believe that Jesus Christ has died for our sins. Is it true? Have we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior? The answer is yes then you are being assured as a Christian. If the answer was no, then you don't have that insurance. Questions one through four don't even matter if we can't answer question five. With yes, we believe that Jesus is our Savior from sin.
And so take a moment and think about those questions. Being willing to walk in the light, to put things behind us, our past behind us. Everything we once held dear matters not compared to knowing Jesus. We're going to have our time of commitment, and as it plays, just take this time to answer those questions. You don't have to write them down. You have to know them in your heart. Joy, my righteousness. 
Father, we just come before you right now. Lord, as we take this time to test ourselves, may we be able to answer that first, that last question, the most important question, that yes, we have accepted you as our Lord and Savior. That we have accepted the freedom. That we know with assurance of eternal life that comes from knowing Christ as our Savior, that we walk in the light, Lord, that we practice and obey your word, and that those who may look at us may know that we are your servants, that we are Christians, Lord. And we may love one another as you love us. We ask these things all through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.